Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear David Crabb. Please, queers, stop. I, I've heard all the jokes before. They were like, your dad's the daddy. And I was like, bitch, stop. Uh, but, he, but yeah, he is. Um, that and more. But first, I want to give a big shout out to our new Patreon member. <laughs> and that would be my cousin Bunky. <laughs> Hello, Bunky Schramer. Um, thank you so much for being one of our $25 a month or more Patreon members. We always give a shout out to someone who gives $25 or more per month. And guys, there is so much to be found on our Patreon. And just to let you know, Yes, this has been a super, super, super tough year for us. We've had some very scary times this year. Uh, we're on more stable footing lately, uh, but we still very, very, very much need to be building support from risk listeners in order to, you know, <laughs> stay strong beyond the next several months you know i mean we're we're still it's still a little bit touch and go so we are incredibly incredibly thankful for the patreon support listen we have said that if we get to ten thousand dollars a month in patreon donations I will make a jazz lounge version of the stamps.com song. So we've got to get up there. I think we're close. I think we're somewhere around about in the 8,000 or a little bit more range. So go to patreon.com slash risk. Check out all the bonus stories and check-ins and interviews with storytellers and staff members there. Or if you want to make a one-time donation, just go to paypal.me slash risk show. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Now here's the show. Kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. This is Room 34 behind me now. This song is a hybrid of songs by Miles Davis and Radiohead. John LaSala is an audio editor for Risk, and a friend of his, Scott Anderson, is in this band, Room 34. 
We're calling this week's episode Miscalculations. Now, in a little bit, we're going to hear from Terry Cheney. Terry has a brand new book out called Modern Madness, an Owner's Manual. It's a memoir. You might be familiar with her previous book called Manic. She was also recently in People Magazine in the September 4th issue talking about this memoir. You can find her on Twitter at T. Cheney Author. But before Terry, we're going to hear a little story from David Crabb, who is a member of the Risk staff and a teacher for the Story Studio. This was recorded at the Virgil Theater in Los Angeles before theaters got all shut down for the pandemic. You can, of course, find David at davidcrab.net, and you can also find his memoir, Bad Kid, anywhere books are sold. Here is David now with a story we call The Rainbow Connection. So I've been with my husband for 16 years. We met in 2002, but we count 2004 because we really fucked up the first two years. Um, And it's interesting having been with a same-sex partner for this long because I think in the early 2000s when you're a woman with a woman or a man with a man, you kind of feel like you're exempt from certain questions or rules, right? You're like, you're kind of punk rock because no one's going to ask you, like, when are you going to have kids? You're safe from that nonsense, right? Well, we're not safe now. Uh, I think a few years ago is when it started with my mother and a few other people. And it's always fascinating when people ask me and Jack, like, why don't you have kids? And I want to be like, why don't you give me $40,000? <laughs> um, because that's how much it costs. It's an adoption application. It is a surrogate. It is like whatever it is. And it's funny because it's always kind of been in the back of our mind, but we don't live a lifestyle that necessarily leads to the kind of security you would want to have to raise a child in the world. When Jack and I first met, we were both actors in New York in the very traditional picture in the dictionary next to actor in New York, right? Um, We were in some little indies. We did some web series. We did what we did. And I loved dating because there is a thing that happens. Like when people will ask me, like, what do you do? I'll be like, well, I'm an actor, but I also do some like narrative work and I do some memoir and I sort of teach at Occidental College sometimes, but just part time every other semester. But I'm also doing some sketch right now. And I'll answer all the questions. And then they'll be like, what does your husband do? And I'm like, he's the same as me. And then they go, hmm. And it's a little lilt because what they want me to say is he's a very famous bone cancer doctor. That is what they need me to say because they want me to be like bitch go make art right good for you honey you you nailed it but the thing is I love being with someone that does what I fucking do and when we were in New York together when we first got together we had the same kind of lifestyle you know we were like what did you see on Actors Access today I don't know what did you see on Actors Access today it was great it was wonderful and I loved it and then when we moved to LA a few years ago Shit kind of changed. Um, Right before we moved, I uh, was doing a solo show that was very much about my real life, and I started doing a lot of storytelling stuff. I wrote a memoir, and my husband, Jack, his career leaned way more into, like, commercial acting. Um, When we moved to L.A. our first year here, he was cast as the father in the Father's Day ads for Home Depot. (laughs) Did I mention he's butch? Um, and it's a really fun thing to be a gay man whose partner is the dad and the daddy father. I, I, was, like, I was like, please, queers, stop. I, I've heard all the jokes before. They were like, your dad's the daddy. And I was like, bitch, stop. Uh, but, he, but yeah, he is. Um, but, you know, it was interesting because we were here and suddenly we kind of like, there was like a fork in the road, right? And I didn't do that. Now... To be clear, one of the things that my husband Jack did when we moved here is he did a lot of super commercial work, right? And I've been on my fair share of commercial auditions. And if there's a way that David Crabb fails in life that you can see in an active, physical, visualized way, it's David Crabb at a commercial audition for print. My husband looks like a cross between George Clooney and peak era Rock Hudson. I don't. He came out of some weird Jeff Goldblum fly machine to be like, hey, you haven't gotten fucked all throughout grad school, but I'll marry you. And I'm like, yes. Like, karma gave me this beautiful thing. He will eat, like, fucking chicken parmesan with spaghetti sauce on his face, and someone will be like, I'm taking your picture. And somehow, within a split second, he will turn and be like, and it's like Gucci. 
I will put on eight pounds of makeup and have my hair cut and pose for a photo. And there's a very famous photo of me with my husband and his family at a getaway. And they're very, like, old-school Pennsylvania Dutch family. They're the kind of, like, good stock people who are tall and healthy. They could, like, pull your truck out of the mud with their bare teeth and a strap in a snowstorm. Do you know what I mean? And in this photo, there's, like, 20 of them, and on the end is me. Like, I kind of look like Gollum, like, with no eye. Literally, it looks like a healthy family that took someone from a program for the day. Do you know what I mean? And when I go, when I used to go to auditions like this, it's the same thing when you walk into a room where they're doing a commercial print cast. And you walk in, there's like a dude with an oversized like sports hat with the bill completely flat. He's like wearing chunky glasses. He's someone's dad, but he's dressing like he's 22. And he's behind a Nikon and he's just like, hey, just smile for me three ways, brah. If you could smile like really soft at first and then like show little teeth and then be like really happy at the end. Thanks, dude. And when I go in the room with that guy, what happens is this. Smile a little softly, and the first part's okay. It's weird. I look like I might have hurt someone, but it's acceptable. It's like... And then the next part is like, show some teeth now. And then I sort of start to look like um, a dog that might hurt you. It's like, a, it's like a very kind of detached, frozen... And then when they go to like the last one, okay, full smile, you're happy. And then I become like an Easter Island stonehead. Do you know what I mean? Like one of those like... Like, it's like there are forces inside my head controlling my face and they don't send each other memos about what to do. And it's miserable. And especially the auditions where there were other actors waiting and they're watching you perform because that's a thing in the world, Rich. You don't know this because of your story because you don't act. It's more of a nightmare than you even know. Than, than even Denny's let you know. You go, and then as you leave and you feel terrible, you see someone at an iMac who's like a fetus looking at your face and laughing, and you see the image of your face going... And it's like a fucking nightmare, right? I'm bad at this. I'm happy not doing this. And then our first year in L.A., Jack says, Hey, babe, we got a commercial audition if you want to come with me. And I'm like, mm, I don't want to... I don't like it. And then he says, but no, 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 it's like, you know, real people casting, right? And I'm like, so, like, I just get to, like, tell stories and, like, be funny and, like, talk to people. And he's like, yeah, babe, that's what you get to do. I'm like, okay, I'll fucking go with you. (laughs) So we go to the casting. I'm so excited just to talk and be charming. We get to the casting place, and when we open the door, the first thing we see is a fucking mountain of five- to nine-year-old boys. They are, there are 50 of them. They are screaming and punching each other and climbing over each other. They are a nightmare of humanity. Um, And it's the L.A. version of boys. Like, two of them are literally stabbing each other with swords they've made out of their own headshots. Um, Just like, "Ah, cursing, just a nightmare. And there's a thing, like, I have a nephew who lives here that I love. I love taking care of him. But I feel like boys, unlike girls, from five to seven, just send them to an island. Let them just, like, pick their nose and touch their penises and just grow up on their own for just a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Because they're a weird... They're weird. They're aggressive. And when we go to sit down, I'm like, I don't know what that casting is, but it's fucking nuts. And then Jack goes up to the wall by the door where we're going to go in, and he's like Blair witching the wall. Like he's standing there, like facing it way too long, like unencumbered. I'm like, and I look at him, I'm like, babe, what's happening? He's like, you need to come look at this. And I go up to the wall, and it is the storyboard for the commercial, which is for a bank, Right? this little audition that's just like me being myself and answering some questions. And it is a storyboard for a commercial in which me and Jack, we go to uh, an orphanage overseas and we're on an airplane and then the images of us going into the orphanage and then we see like a bunch of children playing and then there's a close-up of me looking at him and there's a tear in my eye and I say, why don't we talk about that boy? And then we go into the room and then there's a room and there's a therapist and there's two of us and we're talking and then the boy comes in and the boy comes in, dialogue, 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 two pages of dialogue and then we say, yes, we want to take him home and then we're on an airplane with the boy between us, dialogue, 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 I pass him a small stuffed toy, he does it, he has a single tear, we get to our beautiful mansion that we live in in Vermont. We do in the driveway. We go inside. The little boy runs up the stairs. Dialogue, dialogue, dialogue. We go upstairs. The boy is in his bedroom. He's playing with toys. He looks up and he says, I finally feel like I'm home. In the doorway, there's a storyboard. I hold his hand. Dialogue, dialogue, dialogue. We cry. That's the little commercial that I'm just going to answer some fun questions and be myself. And right as I'm processing, this is fucked up and I don't want to do this, someone with a clipboard comes out and they're like, David? Jack? 
Rainbow. From the mountain of boys, Rainbow erupts. He is a beautiful uh, boy. He is uh, black. He's probably seven. He is in a little, like, tweed jacket and slacks and a fedora. He's like a very, just New York little cute accountant. Um, And... He runs past us and he's screaming. He's like, hey, everyone, I'm here now. What's your name? My name's Rainbow. Rainbow, Rainbow. He's doing somersaults in the room. And I look at Jack and I'm like, this is not what I signed up for. I do not want to be here right now with you, honey. And as that is happening, he is bouncing all over the room. We go in the room, which is like a dude who's like 24. He's got the flat cap with the tag on it. He's total fucking skater bra, a sleeve on one arm behind a Nikon. And he looks at us and he's like, hey, Rainbow. And Rainbow just is like, Yes, Rainbow. Like, he is, like, Hollywood trained. That fucking kid is, like, I'm an actor. Like, he stops all of his nonsense and just is, like, yes, I'm someone's son. He he is standing there between us, and I'm trying to process what's happening as the guy who's running the audition, like, behind the camera, he's, like, okay, so, um... Talk to me about family. And I'm like, okay, cool. This is where I shine. And I start saying, I'm like, well, you know, family's really interesting. Like, I'm the only child of a single mother who grew up in Texas. So I think my perspective is really different than my husband. He's one of five. He grew up in a Pennsylvania Dutch family in a, in a landmarked home. And, da, 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 and I'm going on, and the director says, please stop. Um, I just need to know, like, do you want kids? And there's this moment where, like, I, I, like, I see the red light on the camera. And I, like, and, and I look at Jack and I, and I start to think about it. I'm like, do I fucking want kids? I mean, I've been with this person for like a decade and a half. Like, is that a thing I want? Is that a thing that I've forgotten that I could have? Maybe I've like fucking forgotten that because of like our lifestyles and who we are. And maybe that's something that actually like matters to me. And as I'm processing all of this, I realize that Rainbow is between us and he's kind of looking back and forth to us. Kind of like this. So looking back and forth. And it, hits me before Rainbow speaks what he's thinking and I know what he's thinking. He is a child who has never been in an audition scenario as the child of two people, neither of whom have a vagina. And I can sense him processing what he's processing and before I can speak he says, who's the lady? Which one of you is the lady? Who is the lady? Who's the lady? And he's saying it over and over again and I'm immediately like oh this is not what I wanted and I'm starting to kind of like panic and as he asks over and over again my husband starts to panic seeing the red light and he starts to say like weird bullshit he starts to talk about like gender binaries and I'm like this is a seven year old like what are you doing gender binary gender is just a perspective blah 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 he's like reading a Vox article to this like fucking child you know what I mean and I'm just like looking at the guy and as this is happening the guy filming us he's kind of descending behind the camera because I know he's trying to hide his face he's laughing at us and right as I'm processing all this rainbow points at me and he says you're the lady you you are the lady it's you you're the one of the two of you who is a lady you're the lady and he's saying this over and over again and I'm like what the fuck is happening right now I never want a commercial audition again and finally, the fucking guy behind the camera, he, like, pulls himself together, and he's like, Rainbow! And Rainbow's like, you know, pulls it together, and he's like, hey, we just need to shoot the commercial, right? So Rainbow, like, Rainbow, of all people, gathers us. He grounds us, he centers us. And then they have the room set up with furniture, and we do all the fucking storyboards. We see him, we, they film us, like, seeing him, and I tell Jack, like, I think, like, he seems really awesome. They film us meeting him. They film us like getting in an airplane. They make airplane seats and we do the action of passing like the toy horse behind Rainbow like it's a surprise. And then we like fake get out of a cab and then we go up the stairs of our mansion that we're never going to live in ever. And we go into the room and Rainbow like plays with all his toys and he looks up at us from his fake bedroom which is just like some like crates and he looks up and he's like I'm so happy here. And in the doorway like I hold my real actual husband's hand and I'm like I'm so happy right now and I'm like oh my fucking God, like, I think I want to have a child. (laughs) And then the guy filming us says, cut. And Rainbow says, have I shown you what I can do? I can do a somersault and I can also take my pants off. Have you seen me if I pick my... And I'm like, get me out of here. I fucking want away from this child. I don't want to be in this room. Jack, can we get a cab or call a Lyft or do you have an Uber? I don't know. 
And we leave the room as Rainbow is literally like assaulting the walls of it. He's bouncing like a fucking pinball. Like, nah, 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 I can pick my nose now. Just going fucking insane. And we get in the cab and we're in the cab, we're driving home and we're talking about this experience that we had together as two people who are both actors living in this weird sort of hard to define space. And I'm like, this is fucking what I want. I want to be with you in this space and I don't know if there's room for a kid in that. And over the next few months, we actually had this real genuine talk about what it meant to be a parent because like, we take care of my nephew now who lives in LA and his mom is a single mom and it's fucking hard. Like Anyone in this room who has children and raises them, that is the most intense fucking job I can ever imagine in the world and you deserve all the credit for that. But it really forces you to think about like, well, what do you want? And it's funny because my husband turned 40 a few months ago and we were out at a restaurant and we we're having tacos and it was like 12 of our friends were having the best time in the world and we're not kind of really like celebrating the birthday because it's 40. You know, you keep it quiet. <laughs> and at one point someone after like a giant taco brings out like a cupcake and there's a candle in it and we're all, no one sings happy birthday. We're just kind of like, oh, Jack and he blows out the candle. And then this child parts the crowd and he comes up to us and he's this beautiful little kid and he says, you should sing happy birthday. And I'm looking at this kid, and it's like he's a ghost from The Shining, like I know him. <laughs> and we all, all of us well over like 30, are like, okay, child, happy birthday. So we sing happy birthday to my husband, and he like, they relight the candle, and he blows it out, and it feels real. It's like, well, that was a beautiful fucking thing. And then the kid walks away with his parents. And then as he walks past the fence where we are, Jacqueline's over, and he's like, that's Rainbow. And I'm like, that's Rainbow. And as he passes us, he's in a little fucking fedora, which I know it's unacceptable on a grown person, but on Rainbow, it looks amazing. And as he passes us, he just waves by, like, really cute and smiles, and he's, like, two years older than when we last saw him. And as that happens, I lean over to Jack, and I say... There goes our son. <laughs> and you know what? I am really okay with that. Thank you. What are you, what are you, what are you doing? Thumb trick. Show her, Dad. Oh, 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 okay, but this is the last time. Here we go. Ready? We made contact. Father, son, son, father. Father, son, son, father. Father, father, son, son, father. He looked me right in the eye and pissed all over me. <laughs> and I realize I'm a father now. And now that you have a child, you have to clean up your act because you can't drink anymore. You can't come home drunk and go, hey, here's a little switch. Daddy's going to throw up on you. You can't get stoned because they have toys that'll mess your head up. If you're stoned with a transformer, it's a truck, it's a robot, it's a... What the fuck is it? <laughs> and you don't need drugs when you have a kid. You're awake, you're paranoid, you smell bad, it's the same thing. So it was only Monday, and already it was a lost week. There were piles and piles of important documents on my desk, which had apparently fucked in the night, producing even more piles. And my poor house was a mess. I had no idea how long it had been since I'd cleaned it. But I was too tired to do anything productive, so I went to bed feeling cranky and frustrated. But the next morning, I felt it, that dazzling surge of manic energy that makes me long for a project, any kind of project, to devour. But my eyes were wide open. I was taking in the sunshine so much it hurt almost. And my body felt like it was tingling, like I had just had sex and it was really good sex. But I was so eager to get up and do something, I couldn't stop myself from just jumping out of bed. So I ripped through the boring papers on my desk. I was signing my name with a flourish and making brilliant observations. But it's true, I had to admit, 
My handwriting was almost illegible and the words just kept coming and coming at me until I had to practically scream to make them stop. But still, the whole thing was over and done with in the time it takes to squish a gnat. Okay, no, I didn't think I was crazy. I thought, uh-oh, something's happening, but it feels so good, I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm just going to go with it. So then I turned to the house, and there wasn't a speck of dirt or dust that could escape me. I lysol and Windexed and pledged and Febrezed until the whole place smelled so beautifully like ammonia and pine. It was proof positive that no matter what else may be wrong with me, I'm irrefutably clean. Things got a little dicey when I couldn't find anything else to clean or polish or dust. So that's when I got out the Q-tips so I could get to that last tiny crevice inside the microwave. And I got out the magnifying glass so I could kneel down on the bathroom floor and inspect all the grout between the tiles. That's when I took off my rubber gloves and started scrubbing everything I'd already scrubbed with bleach until my knuckles were bloody. And that's when clean began to feel dirty. So suddenly I had to get out of there, away from the fumes, somewhere I could breathe. And I'd already stripped off my clothes a long time before and it wasn't quite high enough to go out naked, but it made more sense than just putting on something I'd have to put on all over again. So my poor hair was up in a messy ponytail and my face and body were drenched in sweat by now, but my mirror lied as sweetly as my best friend. You look so beautiful, it said. You look even better than when you were 30. Any man would be lucky to get you. So instead of my normally very clean scrubbed looks, I swiped on a vampy lipstick, lavished on thick black mascara, and put on a day glow blush. And I painted my toenails in pirate's blood red and then I crammed them into the cruelest pair of stilettos I own. Somehow I managed to slither into jeans that I'd bought two sizes ago, and the woman in the mirror looked back at me with complete and absolute approval. Yeah, I, I really hate to think what I must have looked like then, all dolled up for the kill. I live in L.A., so I'm pretty used to seeing women who never acknowledge their age, and it isn't pretty. And neither am I when I look this way and act like a tigress on the prowl. It's really embarrassing, and it isn't me, except that it's wearing my face and my fingerprints, so any damage that may result is ultimately my responsibility. But that didn't stop me. I got in the car and drove down to the Sunset Strip, the only place on town where I really, truly feel like I belong when I'm manic. It's even gaudier than I am, and the flashing of the neon lights is like music to my heart. So I cruised the Strip looking for action, and the energy shimmered up like heat from the road. I started weaving faster in and out of traffic, ignoring all the horns honking at me. I rolled down the windows to let the hot night air flow through my car, but it mussed up my hair, so I stopped to fix it in the mirror, and wham, a car slammed right into me from behind. And I was furious until I saw how handsome the driver was. What the hell do you think you're doing, he said, stopping right in the middle of traffic like that. Well, I summoned up my most dulcet voice and I said, I'm so sorry, it was all my fault. Do you want to join me for a drink while we exchange insurance information? The Chateau Marmont's only a block away. I was surprised, but he agreed. And to be honest, I can't really remember what happened several dirty martinis after that. I only know I woke up somewhere high in the Hollywood Hills and my manic bravado had completely deserted me. I looked at his sleeping face on the pillow and thought, who and how and now what? 
I tiptoed out and found my way back down to the strip and eventually back to my house. But my fickle mirror didn't welcome me this time. I looked exactly like the mess I was. My mascara was raccooned around my eyes. My hair was a rat's nest. My clothing was all rumpled, what remained of it. My underwear was missing. Or had I even worn any that night? Once again, she, that manic bitch that steals my face, had triumphed, leaving me feeling small and lost and terrified. I tried to remember exactly what had happened, but it all blurred together in my mind. The only evidence I had was my car's mangled bumper and a Chateau Marmont cocktail napkin with some indecipherable little squiggles on it. It wasn't much, but it sparked my memory, and bits and pieces slowly started to come back to me. His lips, my purrs, those elusive panties. I burned with shame. Maybe a shower would help, I thought. And as I stepped in, I couldn't help but notice how immaculate it was. Gleaming chrome, crystal clear glass, shining tiles. But it didn't matter. No matter how hard I tried, and I try awfully hard every time, I just couldn't scrub myself clean. This is the Warren Barker Orchestra with 77 Sunset Strip. This is from the theme song from a TV show that started in 1958. They did not rerun it much when I was a kid, though. Before that, we heard from Terry Cheney. And that same story, a, a different version of that story, is also in Terry's book, Modern Madness, this memoir about her whole experience with bipolar. And her book, Manic, deals with similar subject matter. And like I was saying before, if you check out the September 4th issue of People magazine, you know, which you can find it online, uh, there's an article there where Terry talks about her new book as well. You can also look her up on Facebook at Terry Cheney Author. That's T E R R I C H E N E Y. And before that, we heard a little interstitial by Risk fan Ben Stern. Folks, if you like good old fashioned true crime mysteries, if you like stories where you feel like you're a detective finding clues, June's Journey is the name of this new game that you can play on your iPhone or your Android. You are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder. It's this well-to-do family in the 1920s living in a great Gatsby-like mansion. Each scene uncovers new aspects of the story. Some parts are in New York. Some parts are in Paris. There's all kinds of objects you're finding and trying to assess whether they're meaningful or not. You collect information, filling out your own photo album, and you're keeping track of all the characters. There's romance, there's scandalous family secrets. It feels like a really fun play or movie. And I've only made it through like five scenes, but I am told you could crack the case. All you need is an internet connection and downloading on iOS or Android. So discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free. 
today on iOS and Android. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news... Leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. In a little bit, we're going to hear an anecdote, one of those short stories sent in by one of you, the Risk listeners, specifically Lucia Barakai. But before that, a story by Ellen Aquario. Ellen first did the show a few years back in Seattle, a remarkable story about going to find her mom, her birth mother in Korea. And we hung out after the show, and I just love Ellen, and I knew that we wanted to get her back on the show eventually. So it was nice to have her do one of our live streams here. The next one of which is October 23rd at 10 p.m. Eastern, and tickets are at wristashow.com slash tour. Anyway, you can find Ellen at ellenaquario.com, and here she is now with a story we call Parental Highs. So, when I was little, I believed in God wholeheartedly and DARE wholeheartedly. You know, the program Drug Abuse Resistance Education that was implemented in the 90s in elementary schools to keep kids off drugs? Yeah, that one. Uh, I remember the DARE officer walking into our cafeteria and he just started yelling at us, Kids, don't be smoking no cigarettes, weed, or crack, or I will take you to jail. And I just remember thinking that that was all one thing, like weed, crack, cigarettes are all one thing. Um, Part of that was I was a little confused with my language barrier. I came from Korea when I was eight, and I was trying to immerse into this American life and try to catch up on the language because I didn't speak a word of it. And then in comes this police officer, legit police officer, yelling at us about drugs. And honestly, that was the first time I had heard anything about drugs. So basically, Dare introduced it to me. And I went home to uh, tell my parents about it because it was all confusing and I wanted to make sense of it. This was a huge mistake because my parents were like, what do you mean the police officer was yelling at you about drugs? Do you have drugs? Are you trying to get us deported? And they were super upset. My mom got right into my face and said, I will kill you with my bare hands if I find out you are doing drugs. My mom was no joke. She was actually a very physically abusive person. So I started to have nightmares that if I did drugs, she would beat the living shit out of me. Then the dare officer would come and drag my ass to jail. So I didn't do any drugs at all. Like, Nothing. Now I'm in my 30s and the only drug that I know is alcohol and that doesn't even really count because, you know, alcohol is like a rite of passage. At 21, you get your ID and you're welcomed everywhere to drink freely, right? So it's not a thing, right? But weed, on the other hand, now that has a whole history. When I was a child, weed was illegal. And now as an adult, I'm witnessing it like flourishing everywhere, popping up and it's now, at least in Washington state, legally available, right? To watch the flip of the switch happen within my lifetime, I think that's pretty like intense. And I thought, you know, I need to get in on that. Just so happened that a neighborhood mom was like, oh, hey, my husband made a lot of fun brownies. Would you like some? And I said, of course, yes. I've never declined food um, because, you know, girl loves to eat. So I brought the brownies home and I was super excited. And right as I walk in the door, my husband and my children are engaged in a deep conversation about camp 
camping and they're excitedly talking. But as soon as they see me, the noise dies down. And then the eight-year-old says, oh, mom's here. You know, she'll never say yes to camping. She's always a no. And this is true. I have no desire to ever go camping. I don't understand it. Like, why would I go pitch a tent in the wilderness and pretend to be homeless and pay to do all that shit, okay? And when I have a perfectly fine home that I pay a lot of money for, it don't make no sense, right? But then the four-year-old jumped in and was like, yeah, mom is no fun. She's always no, no, no. She never wants to have fun. And that was very triggering for me because I grew up not having any kind of fun since I was deathly afraid of my mom. And now my kids think I'm boring as fuck. So I'm looking at the brownies that I just got and I'm like, you know what? Let's go. Let's fuck it. Let's go and camp. So I'm like telling them, let's go camping. They're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, for real, let's go camping. That weekend we head out to go camping and I'm bringing the brownies because I'm about to show them that I'm a good ass time, right? We get to the camping grounds and it is literally just a plot of dirt with just woods. And I'm like, oh, thank God I brought the brownies because this is going to be a long ass weekend. Um, So I'm eager to get it started now. The thing about homemade edibles is that mm, they don't really come with directions or labels of ingredients, you know? And I'm not an expert. Like, my friend gave me the brownies and was like, no, pace yourself. You know how it is. And I was like, yeah, girl, yeah. Because I didn't want to expose that I'm a noob. So I Googled. Of course, I did my research. I Googled, and um, Google was like, the thing about edibles is, you know, pacing yourself. Just like my friend said, I said, oh. Got it, got it, nailed it. The thing about me, I love brownies, and I have never been the type of person to just like eat one brownie and be like, ooh, yeah, that hit the spot. (laughs) Perfectly enough, right? I go back for seconds, I go back for thirds, I go back for fourths. You know, you see where this is going, right? Um, Okay, so we are all set up for camp, and here's the recap of what happened in terms of what I consumed. I started out with a bottle of red because I was gonna ease into the edibles. Because I think that's a thing that I made up. And then in the afternoon, I take one bite of a brownie. Uh, When I say one bite, like one whole square, because, you know, size is relative. And then I waited eternity, pace myself. My definition of eternity is five minutes because I'm a very impatient person. And time is also relative. Then nothing was happening. So I was like, okay, time for another brownie. Mm. Took another bite, you know, waited for eternity. And also nothing happened. And, you know, like these brownies are delish. So I was like, I'm out in the middle of fucking nowhere. Like I have nowhere to go. What's the worst that could happen? So I pop in one more brownie and I'm like, that should be good. 30 minutes later, the kids are in the tent. They're already asleep. They had a long day of fun. And my husband and I are sitting at the campfire. And all of a sudden, the fire starts shape-shifting. And I'm like, whoa-oh, something is happening. Before I go further, I should tell you, what I think would happen when someone gets high is like that 70s show. That's my point of reference, right? I just think that getting high means you sit around in a circle and you're vibing and chilling and you laugh for no apparent reason. That's what I was looking forward to. Um, What nobody told me is that when you suffer from anxiety and depression and you take medication for anxiety and depression, when you throw weed in, it can actually amplify your anxiety and depression. And instead of shits and giggles, you get thrown into like a pit of despair and paranoia. (laughs) Yeah, uh, that one. (laughs) So let's get back to the fire. And all I can say is, "Uh oh, fire, scary, because I have lost the ability to form sentences. (laughs) And my husband starts laughing. He's like, she's so funny. Two minutes into it, "Uh oh, fire, scary for like, 10th millionth time, he's like, okay, not so funny. She is high out of her fucking mind and it's not cute. So he starts walking me back to the tent and the whole time I'm clutching onto him for dear life because I am scared the fire will murder us all. And as I get into the tent where the kids are still sleeping, I still am yelling, uh-oh, fire, <laughs> scary. 
And then my, I do remember the eight-year-old kind of groggily waking up like, what's wrong with mom? And my husband, who likes everything to be a teachable moment, he's like, mom had too many chocolates. And this is why we tell you boys not to have too many sweets, because when you do, you can't tell a good campfire story. No, go back to sleep. He's like, oh, okay. Uh, he goes back to sleep. My husband puts me in the sleeping bag, and uh, he says, you go to sleep too. And I say, okay. Uh, so then I'm laying in bed but my mind is like racing like crazy and I try to calm down I'm like use your logic Ellen calm the fuck down like nobody ever died of getting high then my high brain is like <laughs> except for that time that kid you went to high school with like got really high and murdered his parents and killed himself <laughs> um, yeah that happened pretty sure it was fentanyl but still you know like uh. then uh, my anxiety brain decides to take it up a notch as I'm looking into my kids like scared <laughs> do you think you're gonna kill your kids tonight and maybe you'll end up on that show snap because of the murder and I'm like holy fuck what am I doing and that's when I get hit with this like wave of just like pure disgust at myself because what the fuck am I doing at age 38 on my first camping trip with my family trying to get high you know like this is <laughs> supposed to be a memorable event this is the kind of thing I dreamed of doing with my family as a kid and we never got to do and I'm here fucking ruining it you know it starts to get me thinking about my childhood and how I lived in constant fear and I spent all my years just trying to do everything by the book for my mom to like me. Like I uh, didn't do any drugs, didn't have any parties, didn't go to any parties, didn't have friends, went to college, only studied, studied, got married, had the job, had the marriage, had the kids, and all of that was never enough for her. And none of it took away the pain that I endured living under their roof constantly being beat down and constantly being told that I am baggage to them. That follows me and it makes me think like, how can I be a good mother? You know, I never received a mother's love, so how could I be capable of giving love to my children? It's a terrifying thought. And see, my mom was abused as a child. She passed that abuse onto me and she couldn't break the cycle. Like what if, Despite all my efforts, what if I end up hurting my children? And that's when I hurl like I have never before in my entire life, just projectile vomit all over this brand new tent. Like I was the girl from The Exorcist, but I'm not a girl, I'm a woman. So there's a lot more coming out of just like blood chunks of clumps. And thank God for my children. They are sleeping soundly, like logs. They don't know what's going on. But my husband, he's all running around, yelling, whisper, yelling, fuck, 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 Because, you know, he's so mad, but he doesn't want to wake up the children because that would make, like, so much more work for him. And I'm just sitting there going, oh, no. And I'm horrified at the mess I created and also terrified that I'm going to die because I purged out like literally all my insides and then I passed out <laughs> then, then I get woken up and my husband's like you gotta get up we gotta clean you up and I was like what and I had forgotten that I had puked and I get up and then all this like sewage that has been all over my body just spills out of like every crevice and I'm like oh what is that what is that and it's like bloody brownish grossness you know think of like the brownie sludges Ugh. and I'm like oh my god did I just shot myself ah! I thought it was poop I really thought it was poop and my husband <laughs> because he was so mad didn't correct me he like let me suffer through this idea that I had shot myself but we finally get out and he is using this water pump to squirt out pumps of water um, that he had intended for us to like clean our feet with he was so proud of this purchase being prepared for camping he was like you guys are gonna clean your feet up with this water pump so that the tent will be clean because it's brand new <laughs> that went down the drain um so instead in the whole like complete darkness he's like pumping out skirts of water over my naked body head to toe I finally get cleaned up. He puts me back into bed. And he's like, please just go to sleep. I'm like, okay. So I'm trying to sleep. But now my brain is like settled on this like depressive state that it can get into. And it just plays like 
a loop of all the terrible things I've done in my life and what a horrible person I am and how I'll never be good enough and I won't, I'm not a worthy of love person. And this, this is the thing that's been playing in the back of my head ever since childhood. And this is the thing that I had wanted to escape from with some edible fun. I guess I had hoped that maybe I could swap those noises out with fun camping memories of laughter. And instead, it just kept playing over and over again. And it's exhausting. It's so exhausting. And I'm tired of my past, my childhood, my mother always being in the back of my head. And I feel like a victim. And I hate that. And I found myself praying to God as I used to when I was a little kid living in that house of terror. And I said, God, please, please. Just let me have a family that will love me for me. And I kept repeating this prayer, and I, at some point, fell asleep. I wake up the next day. It's a glorious morning, and the tent is pristinely clean. The children are sound asleep. Alive! <laughs> sound asleep, though. And I think, oh my god, that was just a bad dream! And then my husband bolts up. <laughs> no! No, no, no! Very real, very real. And I look at his face, this poor, tortured face of exhaustion that had to clean up just insane amounts of puke. And I just break out crying. I am so sorry that I am a dumpster fire and that you married me. And if you want a divorce, I totally get it. And he says, ha, no, you don't get out that easy. You are going to take care of the kids all day today because I am going to sleep. I say, okay. And then he kisses me on my cheek and says, I love you. There's never a dull moment with you, but please lay off the brownies. Falls asleep. <laughs> starts snoring. Then my kids get up. They're like, mommy, cuddle time. And um, that's not anything I could have asked my mother, like, to cuddle with her, I would have never dared. But my kids get to ask me that. You know why? Because I'm not a victim. I'm a survivor, and I have broken the cycle, and I have created a space where they feel safe to just cuddle with me. And that's when I realized that, you know, I don't believe in dare anymore because... If you go to the dispensaries and buy the edibles there, they come with instructions and labels, <laughs> and they're delightful, taken at the right dosage. <laughs> but I do believe in God still wholeheartedly because I do believe He listened to my prayers as a kid and as an adult that one day I would have a family that would accept me for as I am because I am quite lovable. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Oh my gosh, Ellen Aquario, that was incredible. I loved that. Oh my goodness gracious. I'm mixed race. My dad is from South America. And my name is very common where he's from, but it's not very common in the United States. And um, I look pretty white. I probably enjoy like at least 90% of the white privilege that any other white woman has. But every once in a while, someone will treat me in a way that just makes it very clear that they see me as an outsider. So about two years ago, my partner and I moved into our first house in South Minneapolis. I was born here. I've lived in South Minneapolis my whole life. But this particular neighborhood I don't think we realized the demographics, like it was mostly older people, mostly white, and very, very nosy neighbors. I mean, to the point where in the first couple months, you know, everybody wanted to meet us, but we were outside gardening one day and this woman literally slammed on her brakes to get out of the car and introduce herself because she finally caught us outside. It was like we were a circus sideshow for the area. I mean, she lived not even that close, like several blocks away, but she had still heard somehow through the grapevine that I'm still not a part of, um, that we had just moved in. But, um, even with all, all of the weird instances like that, this one was by far the most shocking and, you know, I still can't really explain it. 
But this one night, I had just come home from work and I see my partner is talking to this guy. He's this older white gentleman. He's with his dog. And my partner's really chatty, you know, he's very friendly and social. Me, not so much. So I'm not really looking forward to getting out of the car and joining the conversation, but you know, it is what it is. I get out and I walk up to them and my partner's like, oh yeah, this is uh, my wife, Lucia. Um, Lucia, meet. And then I don't remember the guy's name, but he, <laughs> he turned to me and with a big smile, he put his hands together like in a prayer position and he did a little bow and he said, Lucia, nice to meet you. Welcome to America. I had no idea what to say. I really wasn't expecting to be welcomed to the country I was born in. So my partner just kind of rescued me and was like, oh, um, yeah, she was actually born like a mile away from here, but thanks. And then we went back inside. Our first reaction was laughter. You know, we were just cracking up at the idea that this guy would feel the need to welcome me to America. And I, I asked my partner, like, what did you say to him? Did you say anything that would make him think I was from another country? And he was like, I literally said nothing about you. And you know, after the laughter died down, I like I was kind of getting a little bit upset. Like we started talking about, you know, this weird purgatory that we've both faced of being mostly white, but like not white enough for some people to not treat us differently. And it's a really weird place to be in. You know, not only from strangers, but even from friends, because I'll tell my friends this story and others like it, and it seems like I'm always met with disbelief. Like, why would that happen to you? But what I think they might not understand is that it only takes the smallest amount of otherness for people to treat you differently. It could be the way you look, your name, your accent. Some people will take that one thing and they'll let it define your entire existence to them. all for this week's episode folks this is lcd sound system behind me now and we just heard from lucia barakai who you can find on instagram at lucia barakai that's l-u-c-i-a-b-e-r-o-c-a-y 
Listen, you too can send in your anecdotes. Just email me at kevin at risk-show.com. I can give you some helpful tips on how to record yourself and how to put the story together. Don't forget about that big Risk live stream show that is happening on October 23rd at 10 p.m. Eastern. That will be filled with scary stories because, you know, it's right before Halloween. So those are always really fun, fun and scary shows. So don't miss it. Go to risk-show.com slash tour for your tickets. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Did you know that on October 27th, I, Kevin Allison, am teaching a 90-minute webinar called Storytelling for Performance. So the focus of this will be not the creation of the story, not the writing or composing, putting the story together, but the performing of it. You know, how do you use your voice? Uh, How do you manage stage fright? how to make a connection with the audience. And there will be plenty of Q&A. It's a 90-minute webinar. It's at 6 p.m. on October 27th. That's 6 p.m. Eastern. You just go to thestorystudio.org to reserve your place in the webinar. If you follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and Facebook, all at Risk Show. You'll see announcements like that as well. Or you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Kevin Allison. Or you can follow The Story Studio on Instagram at The Story Studio NYC, on Twitter at Story Studio NYC, and on Facebook at The Story Studio. You know, the holidays are coming up, folks, and the Risk book, people have found that it makes a fantastic gift to give because, you know, it's, what is it, 37? I can't even remember now. Stories, hilarious stories, beautiful tear-jerking stories, some really scary ones in there, some really surprising ones from people of all walks of life. A lot of famous people are in there. Just some of the all-time classic risk stories and Q&A with all the, you know, storytellers and a great introduction that tells about the history of the podcast. It's just a real treat to own. You can get it in paperback or ebook or the um, audiobook version. So look for The Risk Book at theriskbook.com or wherever books are sold. And if you're thinking of writing something of your own, don't forget that you can hire me, Kevin Allison. If you go to kevinallison.com, whatever project you have in mind, especially if it's something narrative, I can, you know, give you a half hour or a one hour consultation. Just check out everything at kevinallison.com. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk.
Lady. 